Um, I don't know about you, I sometimes get frustrated. I don't think I ever got over, I've shared this with you many times, I, I never got over Christmas. Um, I never got over just how much of a joy it was. And uh, I, I, was the, I, I was the kid that, I mean, I, I liked school. I thought we were there too much, but I liked it when I was there. Um, I also had a mom and a dad who were very strict and very serious about taking our education seriously, but also allowed us at times to, uh, to enjoy ourselves, okay? And so it wasn't uncommon for my mom to say, you know, why don't you stay home today and we'll just do stuff together? And I loved it. I loved it. I know that for those of you that are teachers in the room, you're just thinking, how dare they do that? But I actually, I really, really enjoyed that. And so... Christmas was a great time for me because we would get, seemed like back in Canada, it seemed like we got like three months off, but it was probably three weeks. And then as soon as I was done that, I would try to go back to school, but it was so hard to get back into the swing of things all at once. So it wasn't uncommon actually for me um, to come off of that Christmas break and to go to school that first day and then to come home that day and go, mom, I can't do this all at once. I'm going to need to break this school thing in. And so I would go to school, then I would take a day off, and then I would go back for two days and then take off that Friday. And then that whole re that rest week, I was like ready to go. But how many of you, like when Christmas is done, you're literally going, that was too quick, right? I really do. I genuinely just go, I mean, those people that go back on the 26th to work. How many of you had to work on what we call in Canada Boxing Day? Raise your hand, 26th. How many of you had to work? Raise your hand. Yeah, I just, I just, my tears, just, I just, I feel so sorry for you. I wish we had, like, greater opportunity, like, more time for us to come together and just, I wish Christmas was, like, five days long, because it seems like, too quickly, we celebrate, we enjoy, and then all of a sudden, we got to get right back to everything else, and, and yet, it's kind of good for us to think about how important that actually is, because that's how life is, isn't it? And it'd be nice to have like a week off. Like, sure, Jim, like when you're in the fifth grade, that might be easier to do, but I, I can't do that. I'm a responsible person. I've got a business to run. I've got things that I've got to do. So sure, we can take off a day and do something on the 25th, but 26th, we got to get back to work. That's how the gospel comes to us. I think it's good for us to even remember as Matthew and Luke are writing what we would call the, the Christmas narrative or the Christmas story, sure they want us to celebrate the arrival of the Messiah, but then there's December 26, so to speak, and now we get right back into the story, right back into the narrative, and that's what we see in Matthew chapter 2, what it's like actually, and this is kind of an amazing statistic, they are guessing that um, the average American over this Christmas will spend somewhere, I've estimated somewhere between $700 to $882 per person, okay, for Christmas. Which means that we will have spent, just in the last few weeks, approximately 465 on the low end, $465 billion. $465, and, and then next month, um, 34 roughly percent of us get to um, look at our credit card debt because about 34% of American people actually put all of that on credit and it becomes the cost of Christmas. But, but whether or not you have credit card debt, there was definitely a cost. How many of you spent money this past Christmas? Raise your hand. Okay, almost all of us. We spend, there is a cost to Christmas. I think it's good for us to remember that. Anything that has value and worth comes with a 
cost, and there was an expense that was paid by by God. There was an expense that was given up by Jesus Christ when he came to this earth. And Philippians 2 describes this. Paul used it in our, um, our, our Christmas Eve service. That Jesus Christ did not consider equality with God as something to be just clung to. And so he gave it up and be obedience to the Father for God's glory. Jesus Christ came to this earth. Like even we look at Christmas and we go, isn't that sweet? And Jesus says, yeah, but do you know what I just gave up? Like, I know this looks awesome for you. Even the sweeter side of Christmas comes at a profound divine expense for the creator of the world. And it's only going to begin there because as Philippians describes, Jesus Christ, the cost that he gave, wasn't just a departure from perfect union with the Father, but even more than that, This expense is going to drive him, going to propel him, going to push him to the cross. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 2. This is a part of the story um, that most of us put on Christmas night. It's, It's hard to know exactly when it happens, but most likely it's not on Christmas night. Basically, you have these wise men or magi who are coming from the east and they see this star, and they begin to, 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 to follow this star, and they arrive in Jerusalem, and they see King Herod, who is the political ruler at that time, and they want to know, and imagine that you're the king, and imagine the complexities of back then when there were a number of people that were vying for your throne, that were uh, greedily looking to uproot you and to take over. So there was a lot of, um, not, hey, let's just wait till November and we'll see how the election goes. There was a lot of duplicity, a lot of uh, a suspicion that surrounded any kind of political power. And there is King Herod and these wise men show up and they have these tremendous gifts and they're asking the question, where is this new baby that was born king of the Jews? And that begins to make people nervous. Look at verse 3 of chapter 2, Matthew's gospel. And when Herod the king, who obviously is now hearing that there might be another king that was born, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. It, it, it describes like this, this profound concern that is, is coming up in him. So when Christmas comes, it's not just, as Morgan described, it's not just joy. This first Christmas that came, it brought Herod trouble and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ, or the word Messiah, right? That's the title for Jesus, where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, a small little town, not too far from Jerusalem. That's where we went back. We looked in the scriptures. They can be trusted. God has promised that when the Messiah comes, when the Christ comes, he will be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And what we see early on in this is kind of this repeated story, this repeated idea that comes out through all the scriptures is this, is that whenever God speaks or whenever God does something, there seems to be two different responses to it. Like I would think that everyone, but even in our culture, we're really noticing this today, now it's a bit of a controversy as to whether or not you say happy holidays or Merry Christmas. 
I'm, I'm really not one to get too excited either way. I, I think we're, I really do. I think we kind of make too much. I get the complexity of it. I get all the, 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 the garbage that's wrapped up in it. I just think that, anyway, I think we make too much out of things. I wish we could just focus on the bigger issues, but here's my point. Even on something like that, how do we handle this? Is it Merry Christmas or is it Happy Holidays? And God is going to say, my Messiah is going to come. And not everyone is going to say, convivial Christmas. Now that the Messiah has come, I don't have a care in the world. Think about that. Last week we talked about that when the Messiah would come, that there would be those that would not have a care in the world. And yet when we look at this text, what do we see? Herod is deeply troubled and all Jerusalem with him. What is going on? This isn't right. What do you mean king of the Jews? Not everyone is saying Merry Christmas. There are some who are deeply concerned. And there are always two responses to the same truth. When God says, this is who I am. I am the one who made this. I am the one who, who designed you. I am the one who, who desires your worship. I am the object of your joy. I am the, the object of your affection. I want to bless you. There are some people who go, that is great. And there are others who say, who are you to boss me around? Who are you to tell me what to do? Who are you? What, what gave you the right to God speaks, and there are some that say, hallelujah, and there are others that say something that isn't hallelujah. Everything from just complete disregard to actual uh, kind of a, a form of aggression, anxiety, anger, to this one simple truth. Matthew chapter 2, jump down verses 7 and 8. We're going to be walking through this entire chapter today. Verse 7 and 8 as it continues. So what happens? Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I too may come and worship him. Doesn't mean it. This is not his desire. This is not his, his plan. We, we, we know kind of the backstory, right? Herod says, I, I want you to go and find out, and then I want you to come and tell me all of this is done in this cloud of secrecy. And he's not really meaning it. And again, we see, how, how can you do this? How, how can you have this, this violent, this more aggressive approach to the good news that Jesus Christ has come into the world? Why don't you just say Merry Christmas? Herod doesn't fully understand, but the coming of Jesus into the world is going to upend, upset, turn upside down his entire life. And he knows it. This is why that even though there seem to be these two responses, this one of acceptance and this one of aggression and disdain, it's not that these people over here don't get it. 
It's not that those people, like Herod and the rest of Jerusalem who are absolutely upset, what they are picking up on is if it is true that Jesus is the new king, then that means that I can't be. If this is true that he is going to establishing a kingdom, then that means I'm going to have to give something up. There can't be two kings. And Herod knows this. One king has to go. And Herod, and a number of with him, decided Jesus is the expendable one. Just think about that. The good news of Jesus Christ comes into the world. We celebrate at Christmas. It comes at a profound cost to God the Father and God the Son. But it is part of his plan. And there are going to be those people who are going to accept and there are going to be those people who are going to reject and maybe both people, those who reject and those who embrace, understand what's going on. Maybe this explains a little bit of of why um, Christmas has some of that, as Morgan was describing so well, some of that, that excitement and yet some of that edge to it. One of my favorite things to be praying through this past Christmas is a number of you, actually, who are having conversations with loved ones who are gathering together for this festive time, family and faith. And I don't know about you, but maybe some of you are kind of like our family, um, where family and faith, we're not all on the same page. I know this might sound strange, but even in the, in the Johnson house, there are many people that we call family who don't believe in Jesus Christ. And now all of a sudden, family and faith, it, 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 it doesn't really, um, it doesn't look like a Hallmark card, it's a little more complicated. And maybe over this Christmas season, you have actually been looking for, waiting for, kind of excitedly but nervous at opportunities to talk about the reason for the season. Maybe you had a conversation. How'd that go? And and most likely in a room of this size, right? The answer is going to be it went better than expected. And many times it's going to be it didn't go so well. And this is what Christmas brings. The truth about God comes and it is joyful and sweet and and exciting and it is unnerving and it is edgy it is costly and it is demanding and and I guess I just want us as a church to be reminded that that's the way that it has always been Christmas always comes with a profound sense of joy and excitement and acceptance and, and the complicated edginess and rebellion and even anger and frustration. Notice how it continues in verse 9. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. These are the wise men. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them went out until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And most likely this isn't the night. This isn't New Year's or Christmas Eve. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly and were great, had great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with, his, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. 
I know Herod said he was going to, but these were eagerly seeking, and these, when they found, did. So those that are say, yeah, I really want to worship, and then there are those who worship. There are those who say, I really want to, and then there are those who actually do. And they opened their treasures, and they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and then being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. See, some worship. I, I love this reminder that when God reveals himself, when God demonstrates his faithfulness to his promises that in this town a Messiah will come, and when honest people are seeking after God and desire to find him, he can be found. Did you know that? I think too often as we, as we think about our responsibility, okay, because it's, it's not just me and Paul, and me and Paul and Ryan and Steve, and me and Paul and Ryan and Steve and Drew and Scott and the other Drew and another Ryan, and you know, it's not just us, it's not just Morgan and Diane, it's not just, and Rebecca, oh, how many of you missed her? Okay, we won't go there. Um, but it's not just our, or, or kind of as a staff, it's not just the elders and the staff's response, it's our responsibility to share this good news of who Jesus Christ is. Did you know that? Every one of us, it is our responsibility. And how many of us, when we think of that responsibility, think somehow that maybe kind of tied up in this, maybe if I just present it right, maybe if I just share in the right way, then my mom will, maybe if I just say the right thing, then, then somehow my brother will. Maybe if I'm just sweet enough or kind enough, then, then maybe, maybe then my friend will actually. Anybody kind of get trapped in that? Put, put all, and listen, I'm not saying we don't have responsibility. We all do. I'm not even saying it's not. I think it is appropriate for us to think of, 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 of good and effective and creative ways to be, uh, to be transparent and honest and to proclaim the goodness of what God has done in our lives. And what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, all of those things are true. But let me remind you that it is not your responsibility to change hearts. It is not even up to us to somehow manage the spiritual lives of those that we love and care. That the difference between Herod and the wise men is not some kind of evangelistic technique. You know, if somebody had just been nicer to Herod when he was a kid... It's not, what? I don't think it's that simple. And I really do want to provide, as you know, one of my greatest joys in preaching on a regular basis is trying to comfort those who are unnecessarily disturbed, who are unnecessarily burdened by those around them that are living apart from Christ. I don't want to take from you the Holy Spirit's conviction on you to share the good news, but I am here to remind you that you are not the Holy Spirit, and therefore, let him do his work, and you do your work, which is tell of what God has done and what God has done in you. And there will be some I wish I could tell you all, but the Bible doesn't describe that. Even the Apostle Paul says in one of my favorite texts in 1 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul says, for I will do all things. 
I will give up all means so that I would somehow save some. I would do anything so that I could save some. And this is the truth. This is the truth of the day after Christmas. One of the reasons why I don't get too excited or, or, or concerned about happy holidays or Merry Christmas, it's because I just, I know a lot of people that can know the right things to say or even the right place to be on Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.10. Um, by the way, we, we had a 10 o'clock service today for those of you that came at 9.30, okay? But we have, we, we know these right things to do, correct? We know these right things to do and I kind of like it actually, when society and the biblical understanding of what it means to follow God are a little bit at odds with each other. I don't know if that's always a loss for us. I kind of like this separation between us thinking through, am I saying Merry Christmas because I was born in Iowa, or am I saying Merry Christmas because I'm actually convivial this time of year because of what Jesus Christ has done for me? And so I'm okay with the rest of the world coming up with something else to say. But for those of us who know Jesus Christ, convivial Christmas. Some will worship. Some will worship. Some will bring gifts. Some will sacrifice. Verse 13 of our text. And now when they had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. You thought you had a busy day after Christmas. Flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. Um, just even being in that part of the world um, last year and, and just recognizing even today it would be so much easier. Imagine what that would be like. There is this huge desert, hundreds and hundreds of miles, and I want you um, and your wife and your little child to just get on a donkey and run. For whatever reason, lately I've been reading the biblical text, reading what the Bible describes, and in the comfort of my own study or the comfort of my own home it's easy to go and then mary and joseph fled oh cool and andrea what are we having for supper what are you reading oh just about mary and joseph fleeing for their lives and i get no i really don't how many of you have read this story and 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 you had no like anxiety in your chest you just read it how many of you anybody else just kind of yeah they fled for their lives who hasn't fled for their lives i have never fled for my life never I have no idea what that feels like, to flee for my life. Convivial Christmas? Are you kidding me? And Mary and Joseph flee for their lives. Verse 14, and he rose and he took the child and his mother that night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill, that's a big phrase that we're going to see over and over and over again as we go through the, Matthew, or the gospel of Matthew. Over and over again, this was done so that the word might be fulfilled that the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I will call my son. And there you have this wonderful picture of not just God calling his people, Israel, out of Egypt that we see in the Old Testament, 
but that becomes a picture. It's a real historical truth that is also a profound picture of what God is doing here with Jesus. Out of Egypt I will call my son. And so what we actually see is that sure, some come and worship and others fight. Three or four years ago, we, we, we decided, so grateful for Lynn um, Harvey and her gifts and abilities to draw and things. Um, I don't know if you guys remember this Christmas Eve service that we had, but we had Lynn um, just doing some, some, some art. We have it actually hanging in the office hallway. And we decided to tell the story of Christmas in, 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 in different parts. And so, sure, we have this, the wonderful, the birth part of Jesus. That's fun and to celebrate. But there was also the ministry of Jesus. That's, that's part of what really Christmas is all about. I mean, we don't celebrate it that much. But So we talked about, sure, the birth part, which we know all well, and then that ministry part, and then there was like the death part. The ultimate purpose of Christmas was that there would be a Savior that would come and to save us because of our sin. And, and so Lynn drew these three pictures of these three phases of Christmas. And we had a number of people. They were all, nobody was, nobody was unkind, but I did. I had a number of people um, talk to me or email me, and they just said, why'd you have to ruin Christmas? Like, why'd you have to go there? Why? Like, can't we just have, this was the, and I think it's a great question. It has caused me to reflect. That's why I like these kinds of conversations. Can't we just have, listen to their heart. Don't just, don't, 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 um, my, my professor used to always say, don't grade this, just listen. Don't grade this, just listen. Can't we just have like a couple of days where we don't have to think about the yucky side of Christmas? Can't we just get away from that? Can't we just for two days not have to think about the part of Jesus that he died on a cross? I understood what they were saying. I understood what they were saying. I get the pain and the complexity when you look at the fullness of who Jesus Christ is. I understand why I, I, I have the same temptations. Why can't we? Not forever. No, 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 no. Listen, listen, listen. I, I, I know we have to talk about that, but can't we just focus on this? And, and to be honest with you, I don't know if we can. I, I really don't know if it's ever good to look at one aspect of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done at the complete expense of the fullness of who he is. See, some fight. Part of the Christmas story that I never hear in the Christmas story, I hear all about the, the wise men, I hear all about what, I mean, we, we grab that one and we pull that one into the Christmas story. This one we very seldom do. Look at verse 16. Some fight. This is how you know Herod wasn't really interested in worshiping the baby Jesus. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all of that region who were two years old or under. That's how we know that it probably wasn't just that night, obviously. This, this was a little bit. And, and all the male children, two years age and under, are killed according to the time that it had been ascertained from the wise men. And that is a Christmas response. See, you don't have to go all the way to the cross 
to see the complexity and the depths and the implications of who Jesus Christ is. Matthew 2. Jesus Christ comes into the world. And the king who is about to be usurped, even in ways that he could never have understood, his response is anger and his response is, we have got to stop this at all costs. If anything, you can see kind of looming clouds stirring that are bringing a terrible storm. Because there can't be more than one king. There can't be more than one king. Someone has to let go. Someone has to get off the throne. And that's not done easily. Some fight. It's interesting, just in case you think that maybe this is Matthew's issue, the Gospel of Luke describes it this way. When, when you had Jesus being presented in the temple, uh, this, this man who had been promised that he would see the consolation of Israel, that he would actually see the Messiah comes, this man walks up, you know, kind of, uh, I can imagine this guy walking around the temple looking under every blue blanket that was in the temple, right? Always excited. And here you have Luke describing this account when he is Jesus being dedicated in the temple. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. The fall and the rising, the two different responses, the bringing down and the lifting up, the humbling those who want to be exalted, and the exalting those who want to be appreciated by God. For a sign that is opposed, and then Simeon says to Mary, imagine, imagine doing this at our baby dedication, and a sword will pierce through your own very soul as well, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be exposed may be revealed this is this Jesus that we celebrate on the 25th who becomes more and more and more as he reveals who he is and his plan and you and I just like Herod have to decide whether or not we are going to accept this incredible gift from God for who he is on his terms or whether or not we're going to fight for our throne and our kingdom. So some worship and some fight, and this is what I love about the Bible, is that even in the midst of acceptance and opposition, God just continues. God continues to move. God continues to act. God continues to be gracious. God continues to support. God continues to lift up. God continues to expose. God continues to tear down. God continues to fight against. God in his goodness and God in his righteousness stays on task through Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 2 Verses 19 through 23. See, Herod's not going to live forever. God knows this. Verse 19, but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream 
to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose, and he took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, that would be a descendant of Herod, when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee in the north. And he went, and he lived in a city called Nazareth. But by the way, After Jesus preaches his first sermon in Nazareth, their response is what? We should kill this guy. I mean, it's going to continue all throughout Matthew's gospel. Some will follow and some will oppose. So it's not like Nazareth was this perfect place. This is going to be the theme all throughout Matthew's gospel. Some will say yes and some will say no. Jesus put it this way, that what it's like, what the kingdom is like is a man who throws out seed. And in some places, it begins to grow and it gets choked out. And in other places, birds come and steal it. And in other places, it grows for a little while and the sun scorches it. And then there are some places where it grows and it builds this. See, what Jesus is describing is just what God's word and what God's plan is like amongst us. And we see it right here in Matthew chapter 2. Wise men worship. Kings respond with fear and anger and death and destruction. And God continues on. They went and they lived in a city called Nazareth so that was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled. Here we are again. That he would be called a Nazarene. And so the story of Jesus has come and is now being set to continue. We've learned this, that he is from the line of David and therefore is the rightful king. Here's what we've learned, that when he comes, that for those who understand him have a a, a merriness, a convivialness, a, a, a careless attitude because God has come and God is going to take care of our sin problem and isn't that wonderful and it really is and then we deal with the truth that when Jesus Christ is exposed for all that he truly is the world let me let me bring it a little bit closer like like our city how about a little bit closer um like your family which sometimes includes those who are the closest to you. Some will respond with worship, and others will respond, I'll I'll put them all together, in in a not accepting way. And it's not your fault, it's not even your responsibility. But you have been called by God to share the truth about who Jesus Christ is and what he has done and how he has done that in you. Because this is what we learn at Christmas. The king has come. The king has come. Merry Christmas. The king has come. Convivial Christmas. The king has come. And therefore we who have understood who he is rejoice. And the kingdom is coming. There's so much more that needs to be said. 
And we are going to be honest about the depths and the complexity of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We're going to take in the fullness of what it means to say yes to Jesus Christ. And the fullness of what it means to pretend to follow Jesus Christ. And the fullness of what it means to not follow Jesus Christ. As we continue through, Jesus the King, the gospel according to Matthew. Our prayer for you is that as you kind of look at the end of 2015 and the next Sunday when we come back and we begin to look forward at what God is doing, that you look at your life and you look at it in light of who Jesus Christ is. That you have an honest evaluation. I don't know if you're a a kind of a resolution person or not, but do you have an honest introspection about the fullness of who God is in Jesus Christ and whether or not you're kind of playing this dual throne game with him? I kind of like having my throne, and I don't mind pretending he has one, but in the end, it all comes down to, because let me remind you, there's only room for one king. And at the end of time, there's only one kingdom. And it's my prayer that after 2015 and then into 2016 that you and I learn the joy of being followers and subjects of the true king of kings and being part of God's eternal kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. And so God, I thank you for your time. I thank you for how you have brought these things together and you have made them perfect. I thank you for Jesus and for the joy that he brings to us. And I thank you, Father, for all of this coming on your time and not ours. For you alone are good and you alone know what we need. Thank you for saving us from ourselves. Thank you for saving us with Jesus. And it's in his name we humbly pray. Amen. Ordinarily, we just dismiss, but I love that old Anxiety song so much that I asked Steve um, just a few moments ago, actually, if we could close out on that. And so why don't you stand? We're going to sing. Steve's going to take it from here, but we're going to sing a little bit of it, and then Steve will say something like goodbye. You're dismissed. Happy New Year. We'll see you next year. Love you guys.
去。